is it possible that the movie Back to the Future 3 predicted the next terrorist attack? The location? San Francisco. And then we meet a man who believes that flying saucers are actually piloted by demons. That's a fairly popular conspiracy theory nowadays. But he believed it before the first flying saucer was ever seen. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day, too. I hope you guys had an awesome weekend. Hope you guys have a lot of fun. We have a ton of stuff to cover today. So first off, let's give a shout-out to our newest Patreon supporter, riding in on an earwig, riding in on a giant six-foot-long earwig. It's Honey Wand, everyone. Everyone cover your ears and give a round of applause for Honey Wand's little, little uh, earwigs crawling through the place. I need to disinfect this place. Too many bugs in here. Honey Wand, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon or if you guys don't want to ride disgusting insects, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. Honey Wand, let's go ahead and help you off that earwig. They're screaming. They're like, ah, I didn't want to be on it in the first place. It kidnapped them. Let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to leave Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed out to San Francisco. Driving down the highways and byways. While we're headed down there, there's actually been some breaking conspiracy news that I wanted to cover. I've gotten a couple requests to cover it, and actually it leads into our first story. First off, as we're trying to outrun this earwig that's still trying to chase us down, let's talk about Ghislaine Maxwell. She really doesn't need an introduction. Uh, allegedly, legally, but morally, most likely true, one of the most pro- or the assistant to one of the most prolific child traffickers in known modern times. Jeffrey Epstein, she is currently in prison, and she's awaiting trial for these crimes that allegedly she committed, but she she probably did it, right? I think we're all in agreement that it's most likely true. She has a black eye now. Now, I know what you're thinking. Calm down. Somebody caught a black eye in prison? What? This is a news story? So, a couple episodes back, I'll put it in the show notes, and I'm sure a lot of you guys are familiar with the Black Eye Club. It's this thing that... Members of the Illuminati, or there's the secret society that part of their rituals, they either get punched in the black eye and they have to show themselves publicly, and it's an embarrassment. Oh no, oh no, my black eye. Or, that's where you get the adrenochrome injection is into the eye. I've heard different conspiracy theories on it. And let me actually stop myself here right now, too. I want to give a shout out to the listener Shenanigans on Twitter. Shenanigans sent me this story, so thank you for that. I want to make sure I get my shout outs through. But Ghislaine Maxwell was recently seen with a black eye, and almost immediately the internet was like, oh, she's joined the Black Eye Club. This won't be a fair trial now. She has this black eye. People are saying that she joined the Black Eye Club. Here, I went over this on that episode. She's 59 years old. Old people get black eyes. She's in prison. People in prison get black eyes. I would personally probably give Ghislaine Maxwell a black eye myself, as I'm sure most of you would. There's probably a reasonable explanation for how she got the black eye. She's not saying, to be completely honest, like to give the conspiracy theorists their due, she's not revealing how she got it. She's all hopped up on adrenochrome and the guards are like, she's been awfully spry these past couple days. We came in, she had a black eye, and now she just is trying to like break her way out of prison. All that youthful energy she has. She's not saying it and she goes, I don't want to say because then the guards are going to retaliate against me and they'll make me 
So the guards might have given it to her. One of the explanations is every 15 minutes they have to shine a flashlight in her face to make sure, every 15 minutes to make sure she hasn't killed herself like Jeffrey Epstein did, supposedly, right? That's a big thing. The guards are looking at each other. They're like, yeah, yeah, Jeffrey Epstein totally did it. One of the theories is she kept covering her eyes up. She got a black eye. That's kind of that's kind of a wishy-washy theory as well. But here's my thing with the whole Black Eye Club thing vis-a-vis Ghislaine Maxwell. You're telling me she's joining them now? One of the most prolific child traffickers in modern times? They wait till she gets arrested? This is a club that supposedly Boy George is a member. Boy George! Do you guys, when's the last time you even heard a Boy George song? He joined the Black Eye Club before Ghislaine Maxwell. Ghislaine Maxwell had access to the White House, had access to some of the most powerful people in the United States, if not the world. But they wait till she's in jail being woken up every 15 minutes before they go, Oh, dude, you know what we forgot to do? You know that woman that we were buying all those kids from? We totally forgot to induct her into our secret society. So that's my thing. I do believe in secret societies. I do believe that she's highly connected to very powerful people that will, won't ever really know the true scope of how deep her... And I'm sure that there's a lot of people who do want to see her executed or silenced or commit suicide. I just don't think that now in jail, now the Illuminati goes, now she's the most valuable. So yes, she does have a black eye. Do I think it's related to the Black Eye Club? No. But she seems like someone, if anyone was a candidate for Secret Society, her, in the 1980s or the 1990s, if she had a black eye back then, I think you'd have a better argument about this. Honey, Wanda, we're still driving out to San Francisco, it's a really, really long trip. There's another story I wanted to address. Again, very, very brief story like the first one, and it's breaking news. And this one, I want to give a shout-out to AZ, Patreon supporter AZ, and I want to give a shout-out to Cabot Cove Balloon Friends. They both sent the story over to me, and a, a couple other people did as well, I believe, so I'm sorry if I left your names out. Breaking conspiracy theory. In Arizona, I didn't even know this, but I guess in Arizona, they're doing a recount of the votes from the presidential election. They're doing this big recount down there. This isn't going to get political. Don't worry about it. You're already setting it up. No, no, no. That's not where we're going with this. They're recounting the votes for the presidential election. Apparently, they're using, like, UV scanners. They're looking for watermarks or something like that. So they're doing this recount. And in the same parking lot or in the same area, there's a circus. The circus comes to town, right? You have people trying to, like, go through these ballots and elephants are stomping through the place. It's like a fair. It's like... A bunch of fair rides. It's called the Crazy Times Carnival. What the conspiracy the conspiracy theory isn't that uh, poll counters or vote counters can't have a good time. The conspiracy theory is that the powers that be want to stop the vote, want to stop the count. So how do you do that? Step one. <laughs> step one, elephants. Bring in all the elephants. Now, step one is you... Build a carnival right next to it. Remember on 9-11? Remember on 9-11? Like a couple hours before the Twin Towers got hit? There's that little carnival. There's that little Ferris wheel. You build a carnival next to the place where you're voting, where you're counting the votes. People show up to have fun in the carnival, and then you stage a false flag attack at the carnival, and the authorities come in and they go, stop, can't count these anymore because this happened in the parking lot. And then some shenanigans would happen. That's the conspiracy theory going on. This is actually a really interesting example of less is more. The true parts of it is there is a carnival in the same parking lot. It is called Crazy Times Carnival. 
That, that is all true. It's going on like May, April. It started like April 29th, and I think it goes to May 9th. So it's already in full swing. No false flag attacks yet. That's This conspiracy theory is kind of bubbling up in the conspiracy theory world right now. It'll be one that on May 10th will be pretty much forgotten. Or they'll say something was planned, but we exposed it. So they said, oh no, those 17 people online who came up with this, now that they know and they spread it to another 2,000 people, now we'll never get away with it. So they choose not to do it. When, when the fact of the matter is, is that even if 100,000 people believed in a conspiracy theory, and most conspiracy theories have at least that many adherents, it doesn't change the narrative. It doesn't change the narrative. The conspiracy, it's what, what the message is presented to the masses. It's not what the people on the outside ever have to say. So here's my thing. This is where less is more, and this is fascinating. If you were a all-seeing government power or, or an external government power, if you were the Illuminati, the powers that be, whatever, you could build a carnival. You could hold that carnival for nine days, get all the building permits. The guy's like, is this really for a carnival or is this for a false flag? And you're like, uh, both? And the permit's like, okay, God, I don't care. I'm getting paid either way. Or you could just say, one day you have three guys walking in hazmat suits and go gas leak, get out, gas, go. You would just have people show up and they would convince the people to leave. And the media would just say, there was a gas leak at the polling place. Oh, shucks. That's 100% how you would do it. And then people, the same amount of people would still be like, it's a conspiracy. They're trying to do this, that, or the other thing. But that would work. It would be completely unexpected. You wouldn't need to have a carnival. You wouldn't have to bring in a bunch of rides and carnies and all these other people that could eventually go, well, that was weird that like, we had the dunk tank and we had the whirly wind and then we had the armory. We had like the SWAT van come up and it was this guy. They were disguised as clowns. You just have a couple people go into a location and say, X happened. Super mundane, normal event. Gas leak. You know what I mean? Less is more. If you were really a powerful entity, if you controlled the government and the media would just go, yeah, there was a gas leak at the place. Everyone had to leave. That would be it. I want to live in a Tom Clancy world, too. I want to hop on my dirt bike. Is black clad dudes <laughs> like ninja outfits are riding after me, shooting Uzis. And I'm like, meow, 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 and I'm dodging stuff. I want to do that, right? I can't ride a dirt bike, but if I could, I'd want that to happen. We all want to live in a Tom Clancy universe where there is a carnival with a bunch of guys like loading machine guns. You're like, Jason, I don't want to live in that universe at all. You know what I mean? Like, and then like something exciting is going to happen. And maybe you're at the carnival and you're like throwing corn dogs and like dipping their heads and hot nacho cheese and melting their faces. And you save the day. That's not the real world. The real world is... You're sitting at work, you're counting ballots, some guy comes in in a full hazmat suit and goes, guys, you gotta leave, it's a gas leak. And you're like, I can't throw corn dogs at a gas leak? That's not a sexy thing to fight against. You'd leave, they do whatever they do. So yeah, sometimes with conspiracy theories, less is more. I don't think there's anything behind the Crazy Times Carnival thing. I was shocked that they were still even counting votes. That was the biggest news. That was the I was like, really? That's going on? So anyways, but that is big in the conspiracy theory news. So Honey Wan, we arrive in San Francisco, and after that long drive of me going through those other two stories, by the time we get to San Francisco, I've realized this San Francisco story is a little disjointed. Let me I actually recorded a version of this earlier. And it sounded like a lunatic had broken into the haunted closet studio. 
and was doing a perfect imitation of my voice. Let me break it down because we're here. We're already in San Francisco. We're on Fisherman's Wharf. We're walking around all the tourist destinations. We've been mugged like eight times already. A true Bay Area experience. Let's see if I can boil this down. There will be in the near future a attack on the city of... This is not a threat. This is... This is not a threat. This is not coming from me, FBI, CIA, who's ever listening to this. I am not stating that. Let me back up here. There is a belief. Some people believe that there will be attack on the city of San Francisco in the near future. How do they know this? Back to the Future 3. So this Redditor, Tim Torrey, goes through this whole list of all these things, and he links to this YouTube video that goes through all these things that are equating the number 10-4 which is actually my birthday, October 4th, to things that are seen in not only Back to the Future 3, but other Back to the Future movies, and it's related to the feast day of St. Francis of Assisi, St. Saint Francis, San Francisco, all this stuff. Kamala Harris shows up. She just walks by the conspiracy. She's like, hi, guys. Apparently, her ascension to become vice president was foretold in Back to the Future 3. Remember that scene? This also is all tied explicitly to the most famous person. When you think of San Francisco, who do you think of? That's right. Clint Eastwood. You're like, that was the last person I was thinking of. Clint Eastwood, he did do Dirty Harry movies, I think, took place in San Francisco. Clint Eastwood is 90 years old. And this is really one of the crux, one of the key parts of this conspiracy theory. Again, let's recap. Kamala Harris, <laughs> Vice President Kamala Harris, San Francisco, St. Francis of Assisi, Clint Eastwood, Back to the Future 3. Here we go. This is from this post. One week before the first Back to the Future, and 846 weeks, count them, count them all, 846 weeks before the plane hit the towers on 9-11. <laughs> That's a lot of weeks. Clint Eastwood was in the movie Pale Rider, a reference to the fourth horseman of the apocalypse. So because of that, San Francisco will be attacked. Clint Eastwood, San Francisco, these things are unseverable. Also, that's not all my evidence. Don't don't subscribe to my theory just yet. The running time of Pale Rider is 116 minutes long. What number does that remind you of? Huh? Doubter? You don't believe me? 160 minutes? Turn that number upside down. Turn it. Turn that number upside down. What number do you get, bro? 911. That's a thing now. Now <laughs> we can just turn numbers upside down in these conspiracy theories. This guy goes on to say, one of the most exciting revelations, I was reading this post and I watched this YouTube video, and then I saw Kamala Harris walk by in the background of Back to the Future 3. She was like nine. This is the thing. I'm reading this post, and this was the most exciting piece of the entire thing. It also, I had never heard of this before. I was shocked. I was flabbergasted. President Donald Trump's birthday. This is the most political, this episode, I've talked about every political party I could possibly think of. Donald Trump's birthday is the same day the Roswell crash happened. And I go, are you kidding me? How did I not know that? How come are there not a hundred conspiracy theories about this? And this was after looking at screenshot after screenshot after screenshot of, of stupid Back to the Future 3 stuff. The worst of all of the Back to the Future movies. At the very bottom, and amidst all this madness... Donald Trump's birthday is the same day as the Roswell crash. And I was like, dude, I could do a whole episode about that. 
Except it's not true. I looked it up. It was like a month apart. First off, we don't really know. We know that the crash happened sometime in early July, but there was no exact date. No one actually saw the Roswell crash. They found the debris. Secondly, Donald Trump was born in June 1947, and Roswell happened early July. So is Pale Rider really 160 minutes long? Maybe. Did it happen 180 or whatever he said, 846 weeks before 9-11? Probably not. This guy's really bad with his dates. But it is a good look and a good addition to our segment called Apocalypse Watch. This is someone who's making a prediction that something bad is going to happen. He believes that what's really his timeline is when Clint Eastwood passes away shortly afterwards, something horrible will happen to the city of San Francisco. So that is his prediction. And it's most likely not true. Honey Wand, go ahead and call in that carpenter copter. After the last mugger in San Francisco has mugged us, we wave goodbye to all of our new friends. Bye, muggers. Call in that carpenter copter. We're leaving behind San Francisco. We are headed out to England. And Honey Wand, go ahead and hit that little button there. That's our time travel button. We're headed back to the year 1939. <laughs> And in 1939, we meet a young man named Paul Inglesby. He has recently signed up to serve for the British Royal Navy at the best time possible. At the best time possible, right before a massive world war. He goes, oh, it's going to be so awesome. I'll be able to travel all over the world. And the commanding officers are like, mm, you don't read the news, son, do you? The looming threat of war is coming, and Paul Inglesby is serving for the British Royal Navy. And to make matters even worse, he comes down with malaria. This guy's life story is kind of interesting. I mean, for one, I've never got malaria. He's obviously more interesting than me. I've read quite a few articles about him. We don't know how he got malaria. Well, we know, I don't think you get malaria because it's a disease, but I couldn't figure out where he got it. Like, it never would say where he was stationed. And that's just the beginning of the mystery of Paul Inglesby. Somehow he gets malaria. He falls deathly ill. He's like, uh... Uh, I don't think I'll be better until 1946. You better just do the war without me, guys. Uh, he's deathly ill. And then the nightmares start. Uh, huh? He's standing in a wasteland. He sees the remnants of what was once a proud city. But it's in ruins now. The buildings have been knocked down. The sky is on fire. But then... He looks up. And he sees flying saucers swarming through the sky. He's watching these UFOs rain down hell upon Earth. Humans fleeing for their lives as atomic weapons are launched from these flying saucers. They lay waste to the entire world. All cities are soon nothing but radioactive rubble destroyed by these unearthly invaders. So you go, he's having dreams about war. Pretty standard. Now he's having dreams about UFOs. Well, you know, people do dream about UFOs. Here's actually a quote from the Sydney Morning Herald um, obituary for him. He's a very famous person. Some of you guys may know of him. So many guys are like, that guy was my best friend. This quote from the Sydney Morning Herald had this in his obituary. Quote, from boyhood, Inglesby was fascinated by reports of flying saucers and, 
assuming they were piloted craft from other worlds, subscribed to Flying Saucer Review, which is a very famous magazine. So he grew up reading this magazine. He's seen these UFOs in these magazines and heard about these alien invaders. Now he's in this malaria fever dream. Or is he? Vision. Prophecy. He's seen these flying saucers fly overhead. And he can't see the pilots, but he can sense the pilots. In his mind, he's at one with everything that's going on. He can feel the misery. He can feel the decay. He can feel the destruction. And he feels in his soul... The pilots of these vehicles are not aliens, but demons. Biblical demons. Fallen angels. They are the ones who command the flying saucers. They are the ones who launch atomic missiles at Earth. To Paul Inglesby, this isn't a fever dream. This is a vision of the future. This is what will happen to mankind. Here's a quote from him about his experience. He felt like he was, quote, trapped in this timeless limbo, unquote. He also said, quote, Not only did I witness future events in a mental telepathic sort of way, but throughout the whole of this time, a battle was raging for possession of my soul. When he comes out of the malaria, when he's like, all done with that, is the war over? And they're like, no, um, only a couple days have passed. He's like, oh, dang it. When he comes out of the malaria, though, he makes it his mission to join the church and he begins to preach about not investigating UFOs. Don't look into these things. They're demonic. I know people are really into the UFO phenomenon, but they're actually demons, not from outer space. They're those things that you're afraid of possessing you, that you don't watch spooky movies and you're afraid of the dark. Yeah, now they fly around <laughs> atomic powered UFOs. Hopefully that makes you feel better. He spent 20 years writing about this phenomenon, writing all these articles about the demonic connection to UFOs. And in 1964, he joined the Church of England as a priest. And he still used the pulpit to warn people about demons and the UFO issue. His articles ended up being condensed into a book called UFO and the Christian, published in 1978. It's unfortunately, one, out of print, I would love to read it, and two, has a one-star review on Amazon. There's only one review, and it's a guy going, ah, oh, the book's outdated. Well, it was written by a guy who, who's, who started writing it in 1944. I actually gave it a one-star review. I never read it, and I said, this book's fantastic, because I think Paul Inglesby deserves a little bit more than just some guy pooping on his book. It has nothing to do with the topic. I just felt indignant about that. He's talking to some of the most powerful political leaders in Britain. He's talking to powerful members of the Church of England. Trying to tell them, hey guys, let's not let's not take this lightly. Like this UFO phenomenon is actually related to demons. Now he wasn't a, what's interesting about this character is he's not a crackpot. He was taken extremely seriously. He was a decorated veteran. He he was a priest, like he dedicated his life. He wasn't some dude just spouting stuff off on a street corner. So he did have some high-level connections. And one of his big pushes was he believed the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind was a satanic trap. Because that movie does kind of end, culminates at uh, Devil's Mountain? Devil's Mesa or something like that? I never saw Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It was boring to me. Where were the laser guns? I hated E.T. as well. Sorry, Spielberg. <laughs> Make some better movies. Dude, War of the Worlds was dope, though. That was dope. I've seen that so many times. I think that's the best Spielberg movie he's ever done is War of the Worlds. He believed that Close Encounters of the Third Kind was 
a satanic trap. And the Queen of England and her husband were going to go see it. And he's like, you know, you can't, you can't let him see it. And people are like, well, he's like knocking tickets out of their hand, knocking over their popcorn. He actually started a letter writing campaign and began talking to people in the Church of England saying, you can't let the Queen of England see Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It's a satanic trap. It'll actually possess her. The demons will come out of the movie and possess her. Now, this is where he starts. That's where people are like, uh, like we kind of believe you about the alien thing. The alien thing could be demonic, but a movie and uh Queen Elizabeth and her husband, uh, Prince Philip, right? He's the dude who recently passed away. They went to go see it. Now, what's interesting is I'm surprised that this guy's not more popular because you hear all the conspiracy theories about Queen Elizabeth being a reptilian. And I'm surprised that Paul Inglesby, and at a certain point he changed his name to Eric Inglesby when he joined the Greek Orthodox Church. I'm surprised he's not more popular because they could actually then say, well, she wasn't always a reptilian. When she saw Close Encounters of the Third... Okay, I guess that would make David Icke's predictions even more bizarre, right? If he's like, oh, no, no, she was totally normal. But then she saw the number one movie that everybody saw, but only she became a reptile. But I'm surprised that he's not more popular. I had not heard of Paul Inglesby. I happened to be reading a Mysterious Universe article, and he was at the very bottom of it, and he was kind of mentioned as an aside. It was the most exciting part of the article. Anyways, he tries to get him to stop. He's writing to Lord Montabon, who was like a high-ranking British official, British war hero. He was writing to the head of the Church of England not to let him see the movie. They see the movie, and as far as we know, they are not demonically possessed. But again, again, I've seen several YouTube videos of glitches, of really bad glitches in digital television. So you, I don't know. You could have been right, Eric, or Paul, whatever name you're going by. Anyways, he continued his work even after Close Encounters of the Third Time came out. He continued researching up until 1996. This guy was active into our lifetimes, and he passed away back in 2010. So he retired in 1996. He's like, I've had enough. I've had enough of thinking about demons and UFOs and all that stuff. It's time for me to just fish. You know, let the whole world die in nuclear apocalypse. I've done my part. Super interesting story, right? We've heard the connections between demons and UFOs before. It's a fairly popular conspiracy theory. But I read the, I read about this guy in Mysterious Universe. I read a bunch of articles about him. Read a couple, like, obituaries about him. A very, very well-documented person. Massive, massive issues with this story. And I'm wondering if you guys picked up on him, too. I was reading this stuff, and I go, this might be one of the most fishy conspiracies I've covered in a long time. This is so weird. This is absolutely bizarre. And I'm not even talking about the demons and the UFOs. Let's go back here and take a look at this dude. Quote from the Sydney Morning Herald. From boyhood, Inglesby was fascinated by reports of flying saucers. He was 18 in the year 1939. The first flying saucer wasn't seen until after World War II. Unless boyhood now means to be in your 40s. I still watch Transformers movies. You could say I have a lot of boyhood qualities, but I don't consider myself a boy. From boyhood, Inglesby was fascinated by reports of flying saucers. Flying saucers did not exist. That term did not exist when he was a child. When he had this malaria-induced vision at 1939, Foo Fighters weren't even a thing. UFOs, as we know them, 
were not a thing. You had stories of airships, dirigibles, unexplained dirigibles in the United States. You had paintings of weird lights over Nuremberg from the year 1600. Flying saucers were not in the popular consciousness in 1939. How did Paul Inglesby see flying saucers in his malaria vision in 1939, when the first flying saucer really wasn't identified until around early 1947 by Kenneth Arnold, and he used the term flying saucer because it looked like two plates pressed together. How did he see something that wasn't known of yet? Now, maybe the terminology is wrong. Maybe he didn't really think of them as flying saucers, but UFOs. But even then, the idea of alien craft floating around you had it in, like, War of the Worlds. And those are really the tripods walking around. The idea of looking up and seeing mechanical craft that wasn't human was not part of the popular consciousness at that time. There definitely wasn't a Flying Saucer Review magazine when he was a boy. That came out in the 1950s. That sentence that Sydney Morning Herald, that last part doesn't necessarily mean he was reading those magazines as a kid, but from boyhood, Inglesby was fascinated by reports of flying saucers. That's impossible. They didn't exist. He's having this vision in 1939 of atomic missiles flying out of these saucers and destroying cities. Atomic weapons did not exist in 1939. The idea of that kind of raw power was barely comprehensible. Atomic weapons did not exist when he had this vision. He saw two things, flying saucers and atomic weapons, that would not exist for at least four or five years after his vision. Those weapons, those terms didn't even exist. He saw things in this vision of the future that no one knew was coming. So did Paul Inglesby actually have a vision of the future? Did Paul Inglesby actually see the end of mankind? It's a horrible way to go out. Mankind being devastated by an external foe, and that external foe not only trying to kill us, but trying to harvest us. Inglesby said in his vision as he stood on that fiery, desolate landscape formerly known as the planet Earth. He said that every time the demons destroyed a city, he could sense them harvesting the souls from the dead, damning them for eternity. Not even an alien invader is that cruel. It's one thing to imagine a battlefield of humans united as one species against alien invaders. Maybe we outwit them. Maybe we outfight them. Maybe we push them back into space. Maybe they conquer us and they rule Earth for a hundred or a thousand years. But eventually we find our freedom again. But it's a completely other thing. To know that every human that dies, their soul is trapped in hell forever. It would be awesome if life was an action movie. It would be even more awesome if life was like a sci-fi movie. We could beat aliens up, punch E.T. in the face, grab a pulse rifle, and take over a starship. 
And if I happen to die, I die honorably on the battlefield protecting my planet. But that might not be the case. I may die one of thousands, one of millions of humans trying to take back the planet. But I find no peace in death. There is no Valhalla for me. Just a dark pit. Afraid. Alone. And the gnashing of teeth coming from all around me. I thought I was just fighting aliens. Instead I was fighting the devil himself. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I had to open my door, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.